everyone to What Divines Us. I'm Rabbi Abram Goodstein. And I'm not. <laughs> who, are, who are you? I'm Reverend Matthew Schultz. Hi, everybody. W- what if it turns out that What Divines is just one person <laughs> playing playing two clergy, and that, that person isn't even a member of clergy? Wouldn't that be crazy? That would be really cool. It's, it's Joe Grace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, Ooh, local. That's a very local uh, reference right there. Local name dropping. Probably rude. I apologize for piling on. Uh, okay, so we're going to talk about religious stuff today, right, Matt? That's the goal for what divides us. <laughs> yeah, let's let's give that a shot. <laughs> Do you know anything about it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's. Uh, we have some things ready, actually. So, our um, our <laughs> you, first. You say that as if it's a surprise, because sometimes we jump into this not having any idea of where we're going to go. What's the term? Vamp. We just vamp. We yeah, just, like, there you go. <laughs> It's like um, when a stand-up comedian starts a new section and they say, what else, what else? <laughs> yeah, yes. It's, sometimes we're like that, Let's but see, not today. News. Today we're prepared. Yeah. Uh, so our first topic we want to discuss actually goes deep into sort of religion. Um, and, and that is something about the end of time, right? You, you brought this up, Matt, something yeah. you wanted to discuss. Well, there was a news story, and full disclosure, I did not read it because it's one of those news stories that happens all the time, and it always frustrates me, and it leaves me pulling my hair out, and I didn't want to do that too myself this week. And you have so, such great hair, too, so you don't want to pull it out. You are just so kind. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And going gray so fast. But that's good for our, for our profession, right? That's true. It makes yeah. people, yeah, yeah, I need to grow a long white beard. I know. And, <laughs> I can't wait for my hair to go gray. <laughs> the, um, the the news story was about, I think it was Representative Lauren Boebert. Do yeah. I have that right? I think so, yeah. And um, she said a few things in the She past went on an interview, too. I think, on the radio or maybe at some conference of, quote, unquote, like-minded people. Um, and she was talking about the end times and saying Jesus is going to come and, you know, the second coming, end of the world, because Satan will beg him to because things are so bad. I, there's so many things wrong with her statement from a theological point of view that it's impossible to do a postmortem on it because there's it, like it died of everything. Postmortem is that was that like a tan pun there for Jesus? Yes, <laughs> it was. Jesus second coming, <laughs> and for the fact that her statement is just lethally stupid, right. and it's um it's really but to not to get into the specifics of why she was saying that was happening, but rather to say. There is a real tendency among Christians for sure. Uh, you can inform me as to how common this is in Judaism, but amongst Christians who consider themselves to be really zealous for the faith and really what you might call on fire, you know, is, is one phrase that's commonly used. There's a tendency to think, well, we must be in the end times. We must be at the end of everything. And there's a lot of reasons for this. Part of it, I think, is self-centeredness. People are like, well, I must be in the most important part of this story because I'm the center, you know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I exist. I'm important. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, another thing is you want to, if you don't feel that way, you want to. We want to believe that our moment in history is of the utmost importance. Uh, personally, I believe it is. I think every moment in history is of the utmost importance, but you want to think it's extra special. We're at the end, and just like you watch a movie and you're like, oh, here's the final scenes. This is the big climax where everything big and important happens. I think there's a tendency to want that to be true for us. Another part of it is it seems to be the people that make those statements often are, you know, in our 50s or 60s, and we're recognizing that our lives are reaching a crescendo point. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. This is probably as high as I climb the ladder. This is as high as I'm going. And if there's not Ooh. horses coming out of the sky to end things, then I'm just going to die and I'm going to look back and I'll have to say, okay, what did I really do? Yeah. You know, and those yeah. are some uncomfortable thoughts, and it's much more comfortable to think there's going to be some sky magic happening and, and sky you know, <laughs> and show me how important yeah. I am. So it, it, I just wanted to ask you do you, I feel like that comes up in Christianity once a decade. Yeah. Someone comes along and says, these are the end times. And do you remember a few years back, 
there's this vehicle in Anchorage with a sign attached to it claiming that the end of time is coming soon. No. And it was driving around Anchorage, made the news because it was so crazy. You, you, oh, man. It's weird how crazy is, you know, a matter of <laughs> what you're used to because nowadays I feel like that would be like, right, all right, there's right. another car. And they were like, it was like, it was like coming like within like less than a year. And the date finally came and everyone was very confused. Oh, they had that. a specific date on they it. They did. They Ooh. did. Yeah. This wow, day that's, was that's the end of time. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a guy named Harold Camping who did that. He went through uh, a lot of the prophecies in Daniel and oh, a lot Daniel of this stuff yeah. in the book yeah. of Revelation, which Revelation's draws on similar this. stuff, yes, right? Yes, yes. And. But setting aside for a moment what those things really mean, it's easy to get lost in there and look for codes, right? Yeah, look for yeah. secrets and stuff. And Harold Camping put together all that stuff and said, this is the date, bump a bump a bump And I think he said 1989. Oh, we're way past that. Way, way back then. That Ooh. came and went. And he was like, whoops, I made a mistake. He had math, a voice like this. Mistake. And yeah. he was on the radio. And he said, oh, now it's 1993. I, I would trust any guy with a voice like that. Right, yeah. <laughs> So his second, you know, the correction came and went, and then he was like, oh, it's the millennium. It's definitely the millennium. So 2000 came and went, and he was like, yeah, but the millennium ends on 2001. So he, you know, pumped it back the last time. And then after the fourth try, I think he said, I don't know. Yeah. I was just wrong. Listen, let's, okay, there's, there's some there's some terms here to teach our community. Yeah. That's, so this is called eschatology, right? You, obviously, you know this, but this idea, this idea of the end of time is such a well-versed idea throughout religion and cultures. Mm-hmm. We have a term for it. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and certainly Judaism has it, too. Uh, Judaism it, it is absolutely messianic, right? There is a yeah. belief in Judaism that um, some, a Messiah will come, and when the Messiah comes, that does enter the the universe into a end-of-time sort of stage, mm-hmm. right? You know, and I always find, I tell you so fascinating because, like, there's a permanence to it, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, when you say the end of time, you're, that's a permanent state of being. Uh, well, now, and I don't know where the Hebrew comes into this, but in the Greek, the phrase that often is used in, in you know, from Jesus onward in, in our faith is end of the age mm-hmm. is a better translation than end of time. Because time, if time were to end, then nothing happens, right? Things are static. But end of the age meaning the, the, the passing of an era. Yeah. And into yeah. the final era, which we would refer to in the Christian tradition as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. But that still is like a, an eternity kind of situation, right? Like the end yes. of an, you right. know, and that's fascinating. I mean, I mean, and like, for example, the Talmud, uh, there's this term, the world to come. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Which is this very, I, it's not as, I would say, epic as sort of the Christian view yeah. of it. But certainly is this idea that like, yeah, there is going to be an, a new era and things will be different mm-hmm. it's in the world yep. to come. Uh, and there's new there's new rules for that for yeah. that era mm-hmm. and, and new things and ways to get yourself over there. You know what I mean? So yep. Yep. I think I mean Judaism has it. I think many religions like to have this whole. Yeah, I would of, think most most religions would want to point us towards something hopeful, yeah. right? And say yeah. that this is all kind of like we were saying before. Like this is all for something and this matters. I don't think that's just hoping because that's what we hope for. But I think we. We are created as beings that head toward that. And so well, we're sensing we're going somewhere and it matters. But what is that? Those details get hard. And and just so, like, you know, our listeners know, like, this is something that I, I rarely talk about or even think about, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not a focus. Right. And right. sort of my worldview and the worldview of most of the Jews that well, I know. Here's where it comes into focus for me and other, what I, I would say progressive Christians. And I think your expression of Judaism would really jive with this nicely is that Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven is here. Yeah. It's already here. And we, it's, it's what, uh, 
theologians will sometimes refer to as the already not yet, that it's it's already here, but it's not fully bearing fruit. It's not fully here. And we live it into existence. So the um, what's the word you have for repairing the world? Uh, tikkun olam. There you go. So that process is very harmonious with the Christian theology of living the kingdom into existence. We are the co-creators of the kingdom of God as citizens of the kingdom of God. And the way we do that... Love your neighbor, care for the poor, feed the hungry, all those things. If we're all doing that, the kingdom of heaven is right here already. So that just sounds like social responsibility. You know what I mean? That's a big, huge (laughs) part of it. Yeah. (laughs) And even those progressive Christians, myself included, do believe that it's heading toward a moment of some sort. Yeah. You know, there probably will be some type of punctuation mark, but I, I just don't claim to know when or what that will be. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, but the thing about like people like Lauren Robert who like offers these yeah. fiery brimstone views mm-hmm. of and so exciting, you know, right. so easy to like fall into. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, that's gonna that gather a spot, you know. That's gonna gather a crowd, and it's gonna <laughs> gather donations, and it's gonna <laughs> gather votes. So she's not dumb to say these things. Yeah, she's wrong, but she's not dumb. It's just yeah, I guess for people like us. Who practice religion in a professional capacity? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to hear. It's hard. It is because it's it's bilking people who just want to believe in something that matters, right? They're yeah. out there with a really genuine and uh, and good-hearted intent, which is to say, I want to be part of something that helps make the world what it was intended to be. And she is hijacking that for her own coffers of election funds. And I would say televangelists. Do the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Do very similar work. Yeah. 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 So it's a fascinating problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's fa- and the psychology of it's fascinating, as you pointed out, too. About yeah. Why people fall into this of wanting to be in the end of time or, or the end of or start of a new era, yeah. if you will. I mean, think yeah. about how people talk about when they were present at a historical moment. Like, where were you when Neil Armstrong stepped onto the moon? Where were you on 9-11? Yeah. Right? We, we all have our story. Where were you when you heard JFK was shot? Um I mean, you and I were not alive for two of those, but um, <laughs> right, right. but but like throughout history, there's there is that sense of I was there for the important moment, for, and that yeah. mattered, and it binds that whole country together in that moment, whether it's a terrible thing or a wonderful thing. Yes, I was there for that. I, I have a story to tell, and and we all want to say that in a cosmic perspective too. Yeah, yeah. Well, cosmic. Did, did you hear? There's a big. Asteroid that's going to make a near pass to Earth? No. They said it definitely won't hit us, but it's going to come even closer than some of our uh, we'll satellites. We'll be able to see it? I don't know. I think it's going to go down toward the south. Or they said it's going to pass over the tip of South America. Okay. Is that Tierra de Fuego? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Ge- <laughs> ge- geography My test. geography is famously yeah. bad. I, you know, for me, the lower 48 is just... You know, all the states that are below uh, in Alaska. I can draw the lower pretty <laughs> state boundaries. I cannot. <laughs> it's a fungal party trick that no one likes. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Well, that's a cool trick. I have to hopefully one day you can show me you doing that. Yeah. Okay. Um, like, you can, I can, like, you could do it here on the podcast. I can describe it as, as you do it. <laughs> all right. You know? There's New York. He's got Massachusetts. That sounds great for our listeners. <laughs> all right. Uh, I, I don't know. You, any other comment on this, on, on eschatology? And- no, we can talk about it next year because there will still be a world i hope so it's not the end time so, so yeah we can go right ahead yeah it'd be weird if we got it wrong and they got it right you know what i mean <laughs> it turns out it was the end times we would but we wouldn't have to issue an apology um okay so next thing i want to talk to you about is uh this incident that happened at hamlet university where a professor showed a picture of muhammad 
Yeah. And then got fired for being right. Islamophobic over it. And now there is a epically big backlash mm-hmm. on, on the firing. And it's a really fascinating problem of like of of like this idea of like you know the freedom of expression with sort of like also accommodating p- people's religious practices. Yeah, all in one story here. What, Have you heard about this? Bits and pieces. What was the reason for showing the photo? Well, so this is a professor, or painting. Doctor Prater. She is an adjunct professor, so she's not like you know yeah not quite on tenure track yet, which means they can do what they want with her, easily disposed of, which which they yeah. did. Uh-huh. Yeah, but essentially. Uh, she is a professor of his, his history, art, like art history, and so mm-hmm. she was just showing pictures depicting various religious scenes. And she, and within her syllabus, apparently, she warned the class this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then on the day of, she warned the class again that she was going to show a a picture of Muhammad that was like a a good one. You know, you know what I mean, like not it wasn't like a caricature or anything like that. It was okay. a very well done painting, not doing very something un, unpleasant. Yeah, not, yeah, and yeah. So, and, and I don't know. If, our listeners know this, but like in Islam, there are, there is rules about not seeing a picture of Muhammad. Not not all of Islam has right. these particular rules, but it's a very popular one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, a student complained, even though with all the warning, and the president of, of Hamlin University decided to essentially fire the teacher. Do you know if the teacher had permission from the university to do well, this ahead of time? The idea is. Yes, academic, you know, freedom of academic expression mm-hmm. is a is a huge value in university. So she shouldn't have to ask permission, right? So my my first reaction to that is true. She shouldn't have to, but anyone who's ever worked in a church knows that there shouldn't be church politics, but there are church politics. Yeah, yeah. And I, everyone I know who works in academia says the same thing. There shouldn't be these politics within institutions of higher learning. But, oh, there are. And so I would think, even though I don't want to, like, be victim-blaming here, but she should know she's going to get pushback on this, and she should have made sure ahead of time the university has my back. I, I don't know. I don't know what yeah. Yeah. what her um, what she did uh-huh. and react, but, but to prepare for the university for her showing this picture. But, right. But plenty of uni- plenty of professors and universities have shown this picture, but this oh, very right. same picture before. Interesting. With zero fanfare problem. Okay. Right, so and it's interesting too because in, in Judaism, we're not supposed to see pictures of God or any depiction of God, uh-huh. right? Because that, you know we're, we have this really no graven images. <laughs> yeah, iconography yeah. really makes us uncomfortable. Right, uh, and so uh, and but you know I see pictures of God all the time. You know, it's just not like I make a big deal about about it. Yeah, um, and when the reality is that it's not really a, a rule that I follow very very strictly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I, I like thinking about this problem because like you know in some ways uh, I see where the university is coming from like they want to make sure that the you know, people, Muslims in their at their school feel comfortable being there yeah and that they're sort of they have this diversity platform that almost all universities have and that they're mm-hmm. following through with it but to refer to this to this professor as Islamophobic for showing you know a a picture of Muhammad that it, that is essentially a a well done rendition that's part of her job to study right is right. like I think you know. Maybe too much. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with you. And uh, my undergraduate degree is in art also, so we did tons of art history stuff. I don't recall that ever happening. But the overlap between art history and religious history is, I mean, they're very closely related throughout. And so I, I think that would be really a fair use of the class time to, to study a picture of Muhammad in that way. Again, provided there was plenty of warning, which it sounds like there, there was. There was, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, but so, so Hamlin University, they, they, they walked back their statement about it being Islamophobic, right? They, they said, okay, now that people, now that the backlash is intense, right? Yeah. They only walked back on the statement after the epic backlash had right. occurred, right? Mm-hmm. So their timing was not so great on that. But they haven't rehired the professor back, mm-hmm. and now the professor's suing the school. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just like, I just find this like a really interesting thing like you know have you ever encountered a moment where you felt like you had to decide whether what's more important the religious expression or the the comfort level of your practitioners or congregants well i guess it's different in a church because i kind of know for the most part where their religious ideas are right yeah, we have a yeah. pretty good pretty good idea that they're more or less presbyterian <laughs> that, that gives you <laughs> a starting point and of course we right. have people there who are not but it, but for the most part and similarly with you i would assume you have a pretty good uh, idea what most people are thinking well, that's, within a framework you know? i mean that's just so fascinating for for Judaism because first of all you know being here in anchorage there's only two synagogues here yeah. right so our synagogue has to be a big tent Mm-hmm. So we tend to argue. You know, yeah. For example, with a big argument amongst Jews is: Did the Exodus, the story of Exodus, actually happen historically or not? Right, right. right? And I don't think you get no Jews that can agree on that one. Uh, <laughs> 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 you know, but you know, so I'm very careful, right? I don't. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I personally think that like the Exodus is really important, and why it's important is it does it, does it matter so much? Mm-hmm. Does mm-hmm. the value of it? Or the fact that maybe there's no academic or there's no historical reference to it or historical evidence of it take away from it. Do I anger people when I say something like Exodus didn't happen? Mm-hmm. These are all things as as a rabbi I have to be very careful of and tiptoe right. tiptoe around. And so, if the question you had asked earlier was, uh, you know, similar to the Muhammad painting, is there anything in our church that I've ever had to think that about? I would say almost everything. Yeah, you know, just that's part of the gig of preaching is you have to know where those hot spots are to avoid them. And if I were to go up and say, I really like the movie Star Wars, no one's going to care about that. But but if you get into things like over the last six years, you know, from Trump onward, less so in the last couple of years, but certainly during the Trump years, I feel like every week there was something I had to think through in that way. Yeah. You know, there was all the various things Trump did. There, there are wars. There's the economy. There was Black Lives Matter. All these various things were going on. Uh, gun control, abortion, all these things push themselves from the headlines into my scripture, into my sermons, I'm sorry. And um, and so every single week I was asking that question. And for the most part, I went ahead, but always with extraordinary caution. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's something that we, you know, uh, smart clergy <laughs> yeah. have to figure out, especially us progressive clergy, right? You know, I mean, we're taking a stance on where we fall mm-hmm. on sort of how we feel about certain things, like calling us progressive in the first place. Yeah. But we also have to understand that, like, I feel like there's, I have got plenty of people who are not progressive in my community right. who, you know, do I, and, that's, and that's, that's the question. Like, you know, I want people to feel like this is a big tent, mm-hmm. uh, but there's also things I want to talk about that are, part of our society that, like, Mm -hmm. not everyone's going to agree with how it goes. And the scary thing is, it sounds like this professor tried to be careful. You know, she had it in the syllabus. She gave him lots of warning. And you you might be able to say she did everything right and still lost her job. And I know clergy that fit that description, too, that they, they did it right. They were careful, and they only said what they felt was absolutely necessary by the leading of the Spirit, and it cost them their job for it. So it's... It's a little bit terrifying sometimes where you think. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've read plenty of articles on New York Times, for example, that talk about 
or the study evangelical Christians who lost their position yeah. because they weren't as supportive of Trump as the rest of the community was. Right. Yeah, that was a big one. I think is I think Rob Bell, who was a very famous pastor guy for a while in conservative circles, I think that's why he lost his job at a major high visibility church because he just asked questions. Does hell hell really exist? He didn't even say it doesn't. He was just asking the questions and he got the boot. So yeah, happens a lot. No matter how careful you are. But then, but that's like this. I mean, I feel for this teacher in some ways, not because yeah. she's like kicked out, but she because she's like, how do I, how do I expand the minds of my students, right? Mm-hmm. How do mm-hmm. I help them grow? How do I change their perspective right. without getting fired for it? Yeah, yeah, right. You know, and that's. I mean, I, I think, I think you you have a statement too where it's like we 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 comfort the afflicted, but afflict the comfortable. Yeah, that was not my statement, but I I've said it's, it. It's I forget who that we said both it. made. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I feel like that's my job, you know, mm-hmm. and because I think part of our a job of our, of, of our like of religion, if you mm-hmm. will, is to bring people outside their comfort zone to right. provide them unique perspectives and maybe yeah. not thought, help them grow mm-hmm. into better people. Yeah, you know, and uh, and how do we do that in an environment with a fear that we could lose our job in the process of of trying to push people to think of things in, in a different or unique right. way? Well, one thing I've found use uh, is quoting Muhammad Ali. Different Muhammad. Because <laughs> right. uh, he said a man who believes the same thing at age 50 as he believed at age 20 has wasted three decades of his life. Oh, wow. And I, I often will challenge my congregation or people I'm speaking to to consider their current points of view and what their own self from 20 years ago would say of it. And if and if it doesn't fully agree, well, then you're already admitting that that your own growth is good. And yeah. so keep going. You know, Keep on changing yourself. And then they're fighting against themselves and not against me, and I run away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ego is the big issue here, too, right? You got to yeah. fight your own ego. All right, so uh, we talked a little bit about that. Moving on to our next topic, uh, you want to talk a little bit about indoctrination. Well, you know, I passed by a church that had a big sign out front for their religious school, and it reminded me about that word popping up in the news a lot, um, the word indoctrination. And often it's been used referring to public schools. I've heard it used more often from the political right when they get angry about something coming up that is more socially progressive in public schools. So, for instance, if there's a rainbow flag in the school, they'll say, that's indoctrination. You can't force our kids to be... To look at rainbow flags. <laughs> well, to think that it's okay to be gay, right? Okay. And so, or if they s- want to teach um, that the U.S. had slaves, you know, in our history, they'll be like, that's indoctrination, trying to make the you hate white people or whatever. So it's, it, whenever there is something being taught in the school that goes against the beliefs of the right, the conservative side of U.S. politics, they've been using this word indoctrination as one of their kind of scare tactics recently to, to make people not do that in schools. So it sounds like the way that you're describing this is that they're just using that word to describe anything they don't like. Taking into account my bias, yes, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, that's that's how I read it. They would probably phrase it as we're trying to protect our children from being forced to believe liberal things, right? Um and I, I thought that was interesting in a couple of ways. One, I think it's it's a thousand percent hypocritical because they're trying to force right wing things into public schools all the damn time, right? They're trying to have 
uh, evolution taught in science class is nonsense. And so, Wait, uh, I, 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 sorry. Evolution. No, no. Did you say evolution is nonsense? No. <laughs> Edit that out. Edit that out. No. They're trying to have creationism taught alongside evolution in science class, which is silly. Uh, and so, so that's indoctrination. And so, whereas in schools, I'm sorry, in uh, religious institutions, we all have our own form of intentionally passing on the beliefs of the faith, right? And so perhaps they would all agree that in the church or in the synagogue, that's the right place for indoctrination. But the word has taken on this. It has a bad vibe to it. Doesn't it? It sounds like you pictured like the emperor. Do you ever hear someone say, I like to indoctrinate children? Exactly. No one's ever said that. No. It feels like the emperor hooking Anakin Skywalker and saying, you're Darth Vader now. That's what I feel when you hear the word indoctrination, which again is why the political right is using it as... A weapon. It's not. It's not being used as a conversation starter. Yeah. It's being used as a conversation ender. Even though we do it in churches all the time. And well, the question: Religion is has been known to be famous for indoctrinating, right? Ideas, right? And so the question then becomes: How do you pass on your morals and beliefs? Which that's not only the work of religion, right? I mean, an atheistic parents, family parents, would do the yeah, same thing. Yeah. Uh, passing on what they believe to be good and worthwhile and noble and true. Um, and it's and to some extent, schools have to do that. We uh, Did you have citizenship classes as a kid or something similar? Social, social studies. studies would yeah, be a part of it. Studies. And that's, that really did touch on a lot of those kind of more secular Yeah, but it's like two values. really boring words together, social and studies. You know what I mean? Socialism studies. <laughs> so, oh, no. That changes, that, that changes <laughs> the whole thing, yeah. It's way less boring, actually. Now that <laughs> social studies was boring. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. crazy that they took this topic that is the cause of so much fighting right now, and they found a way to make it boring as heck that I didn't even think maybe that's Maybe that's why I was successful. Maybe, you know, yeah. when back when we were in... School learning social studies, no one cared because just by saying that word, you're just bored out of your mind yeah. already. Yeah, yeah, I don't how, know. How can you doctorate something so boring? <laughs> so I don't know that we have um, a problem with indoctrination so much as a problem with the definition of it. Well, let's let's think about like just what uh, we would think indoctrination would be. Like you know, for, I go back to cults, right? Yeah. Like cults indoctrinate mm-hmm. values that don't necessarily align with reality. And it feels like it's done often through force, if not like physical beating, but through like we're not going to give you food or we're going to make you sleep yeah, on the floor yeah. or solitary confinement. Um, but you also find usually like a greedy component too, like the head of the cult right. is making oodles of money mm-hmm. from doing this. And right. So that's that's sort of like one of the reasons. So it's not like an open-minded teaching. It's more we're going to repeat this until you can't stop thinking. It's like yeah. brainwashing yeah. is what it feels like as a word. But within the Christian church, we have a what we call catechism. I don't know the root of that word, but essentially it's what, what you hear about for Sunday school. You know, you gather and the grown-ups teach the kids, here's, here's what Jesus did. Yeah. You know, and here's what we like to do in the world. We, you know, we're supposed to go feed people because that's part of our religion. And so that's indoctrination in a way. Right? Is it, or maybe it's not. Maybe I it's just teaching. It I mean, I mean, essentially. What is the definition oh, right. of indoctrination? Right, right, you right. called it up earlier. I pulled it so, up. Yeah. Uh, it says here, uh, term which refers to the intent to impose ideas or beliefs upon people 
in the area that ultimately call for individual reflection, oh. decision-making, and choice. So that definition, which I don't know if I trust I like your source, then. what is that, Springer.com? What oh, is that? God, is that Jerry know. Springer? Where Are you I watching the Jerry source? Really? Oh, no, actually, I meant it to be this one. Oh, yeah, let's go to the, is that Webster's? <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> Vocabulary.com? No, it, ah, that's not where I want what to find heck? it either. Where am I finding this? I want to get it in, in the psychology thing, whatever. Well, yeah, that's, that's a good question, because even that initial um, definition we read was imposing upon... You know, uh, okay, here's, here's another example of a of definition. A process through which individuals become members of extreme groups wow. and come to accept the beliefs and rules of the group in totally unquestioning and highly committed way. See, the definitions are coming off differently. Well, no, I would say that sounds like a really, what's the word, uh, like scary definition. Like that's defining it as extremism. A, so maybe the word is only ever used that way. I feel like it is. Like, no one ever uses, like I pointed out before, no one right. ever uses the word in a good context, yep. right? Like, I'm going to go God, to math man. class and be indoctrinated into numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, geometry is going to indoctrinate me with all, all the shapes, you know what I mean? No one's ever said that. That's why they built the pyramids way back then. They were indoctrinated into oh, geometry. Oh, man. But, uh, but, but that's the thing is that, like, I, uh, I, so, like, I would never consider what you're doing at your religious school as indoctrination. I would yeah, consider yeah. you conveying your system of values. Well, part of it, because that last one said unquestioning, whereas in, in both of our oh, institutions, we tell them ask so all the questions so and questions. challenge us. Yeah. Well, and that's so, and, and, and the that's what I think we're doing in some ways, the opposite. Like, right. like I, I like to believe, <laughs> I, hope to, I hope this happens, is that we're essentially providing our kids who are in religious schools the tools to navigate mm-hmm. indoctrination from other people from right. other groups right, right. That, absolutely like, they're like first of all we'll, we'll give you a core religion you know for you Christian from Judaism right so you got that to draw on but second of all the question your environment you know what I mean yeah. that like like we I want to offer you tools that help you navigate sort of like your environment your reality mm-hmm. um, so you can do it in a healthy way so you can do it you could be like a good and better person right right you know in my mind those tools are part of a combination of things that help like prevent being indoctrinated because there's a lot of indoctrination that is really subtle and under the surface and and our young people are going to be sent out into for example in our country in our time, They'll have lots of times where they're being subtly indoctrinated to believe that financial gain is the purpose of life. Right. That's a real common yeah. religion oh, yeah. in yeah, our yeah, country. Yeah. And so we're the prosperity we need, gospel. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But even if it's in an atheistic mindset of just saying, here you are in your new job as a whatever, and you just want to do better and better so you get more and more money so that you can have more and more money, so you can invest it and make more and more money. It all just becomes about the money. And that's a not so subtle indoctrination that goes on every day. I mean, even at success, schools. That's a definition of. I mean, that's like, like, yeah. like a defin, a definition of success, right? You're rich. Yeah. Um, and, and so I would say part of your work to protect people against being indoctrinated into that, unless they choose to go, and if that's their choice, then all right. But at least they should be aware that they're being indoctrinated. Or, and also maybe you know try some philanthropy if you make right. a lot of money. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Dabble in some ways to give it back, perhaps. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you know, donate to your local synagogue or church. <laughs> maybe you put synagogue first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just but that's I mean like it's such a fascinating problem. But like, yeah. look at like you know QAnon. You know, it make, you wonder mm-hmm. like why it got so popular and so many people were into it. I don't know if they still are or not. I mean, I think part of it was COVID. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think those people who really believed in what QAnon had to offer 
were very susceptible yeah. to doctrine. And maybe didn't get the religious school experience that our, hopefully that our, our kids. And well, but there does getting. there is a demonstrated overlap between religious extremism and conspiracy theory belief. And yeah. so there's some there's some quirk in there that that is easy to exploit. And it might just be the willingness to believe in general. You know, it could be the willingness to set aside logic in favor of just following what you feel in your heart. You know, yeah. those can be beneficial to a person, but they can also be highly dangerous. And I think QAnon really found a good way to exploit that pivot point. Have you heard the phrase red pilling? I imagine it has to do with the Matrix. Exactly. So yeah. he holds out his two fists and opens them up, and there's You're a talking red. about Morpheus. Morpheus, and yeah. You see each pill in the su- in the sunglasses. Exactly. It's a famous scene. It I is. know the scene well. Which yeah. isn't how reflections work, but it's cool. <laughs> it's really yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. And I guess in the movie, he chose the red pill, which showed him the truth, opened uh, his eyes to the real I thing. See, and I so see. QAnon uses that phrase to say, "Come in here with us. We have the red pill, and we'll show you." And that has the double effect of a. Making them feel special. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. They've been brought into this small uh-huh. elite Ooh, group. That you know, it's kind of like Gnosticism. We yeah. have the secret knowledge, and you're part of our little crowd now. So there's a sense you're of belonging special. to it. Yeah. And at the same time, it closes out other sources of truth and information. So if someone comes along and says, actually, the vaccines are safe, they get shut out because they're outside of their flock, right? right. And so, right. and so it really that red pilling or that indoctrination. Uh, it really has its own gravitational pull. The deeper you get, the more that pull holds you tightly. Yeah. And so, I mean, how does a person, like, I, I can see people falling into that, regular, normal people trying mm-hmm. to live, just to get through their, their day, yeah. you know, fall into that. How do they get out? Like, that's the question. Is that, like, because I think, for me, I think a lot about, like, how does, how does what we teach help align with reality? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, like, certainly we got things in our... In our texts that don't, for yeah. example, uh, miracles, <laughs> miracles, yes, yeah, plagues, if you will, uh-huh. right? And yeah. so obviously those don't align with reality so well. Uh-huh. Um, and but they're helpful tools. They're, you know, for me, I think of all as tools to help us understand our reality better. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and so you know, I believe that like part of our goal, and, and at least my religious school is, is to have our Jewish kids become successful Jewish adults. Yeah, you know, that's what I want from them. That's mm-hmm. that's my goal for them. Um, that's my agenda. Uh, <laughs> if you will, um, and so it's just, I, I do see it complicated though when someone says, "Okay, you know, your religion says that some big fish swallowed the guy and spooned him back out again. He was totally alive." Yeah. I'm, I can believe anything if that's what you can believe. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, we don't necessarily believe that happened literally. You know right, what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's a story that conveyed, you know, a moral that we, we, we want to convey, and the moral is the important part. It conveys a truth. Yeah. Yeah. Without being factual. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I can see people having a hard time navigating mm-hmm. all that. For sure. For sure. Huh. Well, we didn't fix it. I don't... Uh, are we supposed to? Is that our, <laughs> shoot, is that our job? Dang it. I kind of feel like it is. Sorry. Sorry, world. We didn't fix the world yet. <laughs> if only we had a few more podcast listeners. <laughs> Could fix everything. All tell, right. Tell your friends about our podcast. What's next? Oh, next... Oh, something hyper-local going on, right, that you brought up. Uh, I don't remember what I brought up. Refresh my memory. occurring in a bar downtown. Oh, good golly, we yeah. A bar called F Street, which, by the way... F Stop, I think. F, F Stop Station? Is that right? Hang on. Let me... Isn't it F Street? Is it F... It's like a famous bar. Like, I remember, like, when I was, like, I don't know. F Street Station. Yeah. When I was just getting into my drinking era... 
you know, a little bit past 20, 21, 22. This mm-hmm. is the place that all of my fellow friends who are over 21 were, were okay. drinking. Ah, all right. I did not go there very often because that wasn't really my scene. Yeah. But I'm just saying that I have like a... You have a memory of the place. I have a place. memory of the yeah. place, yeah. So apparently there's a little bit of recent history that they were kind of... Uh, Getting politically vocal about things, starting with the mask. No, I'm sorry. Starting with the gasoline. <laughs> Jeez, my brain is not working. Starting with the alcohol tax. tax right. Then right. moving on to the mask mandate. Right. They were involved in those conversations. Just so, just so people who are who are not from or living in Anchorage, okay. we had an alcohol tax that occurred that we we voted in. That like, maybe four years ago or so. There was like there was like two. One that failed, then one that passed. Right. And it was designed to tax alcohol to help people who have, were having mental health crises, like. It got it got diverted to a handful of places, including yeah. now homelessness, which I yeah. Yeah, a lot of that I'm the, I'm involved in talking about, and then also some law enforcement things. You know, it got most of the places it went to. I feel like are pretty appropriate. Yeah, it was good work. It yeah, was good, yeah, but yep. but but of course there was a, a huge push against it by. Yeah. Companies that sell alcohol, restaurants. That sell yeah, alcohol. and so yeah. I'm not, and I'm not trying to condemn them for that. It's a complicated issue, and they, yeah. they came out publicly on an issue that honestly did very much affect their business. That kind yeah. of makes sense. Similar to the mask thing, that you know they're a gathering place, and and those shutdowns really did hit bars and restaurants hard. So I can understand those things, but I think that's kind of the beginning point of of where some of this place's public image started to shift a bit. Um, but they apparently just um, the other day uh, had written up on their chalkboard. You know, a lot of places have a large display chalkboard that says Trader, specials Trader of the day. Joe's. Yeah. Like, that's like their thing. Like, <laughs> do the people, I always wonder, are there actual artists going in there and like Did making I, all the chalk art and then Trader oh, Joe's? Yeah. Did I tell you about – there is a podcast I listened to that talked all about the Trader Joe's business model. How the heck does it succeed? They don't advertise and their parking lots are crappy, but somehow they still so, are just I mean, weird. Was... Speaking of a cult indoctrinating their people, my wife has been indoctrinated into the Trader Joe's religion and we can't get her back. I, I mean, whenever I have a friend that goes lower 40, yeah. Trader Joe's, this is what I need. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> I get the smoky peach salsa and I will eat an entire jar. I'll just drink the jar of yes. it like it's a beverage. Yes, lemongrass soap. I don't know why they have like really? <laughs> <laughs> What is lemongrass? Lemon's a tree. <laughs> I don't know. It smells great. All right. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, off topic of it, because now I'm going to like turn it to something dire, a, a terrible situation, that they on their chalkboard, this uh, F Street uh, station, had what they considered, I presume, to be a joke. And in, they're using now the old, it's just a joke defense, which never works. And it's the, the, the quote says this, we now live in a world where your kid cannot pretend to be an Indian but a grown man can pretend to be a woman. So. Now live in a world. Yeah. Wait, one more time on that one. We now live in a world where your kid cannot pretend to be an Indian, referring to Halloween costumes, I presume. Okay. But a grown man can pretend to be a woman, referring, I presume, to transgender individuals, maybe some of the, like, drag queen story hour library stuff. Um, this is awesome, by the way. I love drag queen story hour. Honestly, that's been, like, beyond my... Vision. I just. So, I guess my so kids are cool. so old. It's never been something uh, I've, I've bumped into. Not, yeah. Um, anyway, the point being, they put this up on their um, chalkboard. You can see it online. It got passed around on social media quite a bit. The quote is up there with no context. It doesn't say like joke of the day or no offense or anything like that. Not that those would make it better, but it's just written. You know, yeah. it's very stark. The rest of the board is blank. So to me, it feels a little bit like an attempted joke, and a little bit like a. 
in your face, you people are wrong kind of thing, right? Sure. When I say you people, I mean that in the in the horrible sense. Um, and so uh, naturally it got passed around social media quite a bit. People saying, stay away from this business. Don't, you know, give them a call and tell them you don't like this. And yeah, I, I agree that that is the thing to do is A, call them and say, please don't do this. Please stop. And B, don't patronize their business unless that kind of thing stops or that changes. Now there's the pushback from the conservative side saying, this is cancel culture. And, you know, you can't take a joke or do we all have to believe the same thing? Now, granted, I am trying to share their side of the argument, which I don't agree with. So maybe I'm not doing them justice, but I don't see how putting something like this up is defensible. Even if it were a joke, it's a horrible one. You know, the the right thing to do would be to say, sorry, that was a, you know, transphobic joke. Native Alaskans and Native Americans... Wow, and, and right. also insulting them. So two marginalized LGBTQ community yeah, all at the same two time. marginalized groups, yeah, and you're yeah. insulting them for no reason. Like it's just out of the blue punch, and then and then being like, "Yeah, get over it." What do we all have to agree? Well, like, no, we don't all have to agree. But how about you don't attack people? That's that's pretty a pretty low bar for for who I'm going to choose to go buy a beer from because you can buy a beer from literally a hundred establishments in town, right? Wouldn't you say there's literally a hundred places to buy a beer from in Anchorage? Why go to the one that's going to be insulting Alaska natives, sure, and transgender people? But yeah. why would I choose to give them my money? Well, I, well, well, I mean, like, did you? I mean, like, I, I wondered, like, kind of getting into the head of the person that wrote this down on this on this chalkboard. Like, did they consider the potential blowback? I have or no idea. Did they? Maybe they love all all of like the the attention that they're getting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like this is where this is where I'm thinking. Like, like I mean, obviously, I'm not gonna. I'm gonna continue not to go there. <laughs> yeah, right. But, yeah, I was never going. Uh, to be, I've yeah. never been there. Just, yeah, yeah, not by choice. Yeah, it's just yeah. I never happened to. I didn't know it existed not until necessarily this a downtown yeah. spot. But you know, I uh, I also think that like you know, this is part of the consequences of just saying things in the public sphere, and, mm-hmm. and like you know, this this. Business is free to say what they want. Well, that's the other thing. People often, and there was some of that pushback from the right wing side of uh, they have a right to say what they want, but we also have and a right like, to boycott yeah, it. Yeah, they do. They have yeah, they have yeah. the right to keep yeah. that on their chalkboard forever if they want. But I'm not going to go in there. We also have the right to complain about it. Yeah, and, you know. So like everyone has a right to do to do <laughs> what they're doing as they're doing it right now. Yep. Right, nothing here is illegal essentially. And then there's the weird. Uh, the Chick Fil A principle, which is a phrase I just Chick-fil-A made up. But principle. <laughs> do you know? Invented <laughs> right now. Yeah. <laughs> Copyright. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trademark. Natural. No, it's um. You know the the biz, the restaurant Chick Fil A. Uh, yeah. They they make they're just kind of a fast food chicken joint, and they had kind of a Trader Joe's kind of thing where there was like this subculture. People were like, oh, this place is the best. They have this one particular dish or this one particular drink, and they're like, all right, great. So it was this fun little thing. But then it came out that they had supported uh, the groups that were fighting against legalizing gay marriage. So okay. Chick-fil-A was like, they, they, they were like, no gay marriage in California. Yeah. They donated yeah. big to that. And then it also became publicly known. They also shut down all their franchises on Sundays as the Sabbath day for Christians. Sure. And sure. so with those two things, it suddenly became no longer just a restaurant choice. But an, uh, an icon that you clicked on to say, ideology. I'm with this group. It was a flag that you fly. I'm the Chick-fil-A yeah. guy. Yeah. And it became this thing where, like, like conservative Christian groups would be like, oh, we're going to meet for lunch at Chick-fil-A because they're ours. They're in our tribe, that kind of thing. Right. And I'm seeing that Chick-fil-A principle play out in real time today for F Street. 
people on the right are saying, I know where I'm going for dinner. We're going out there tonight because we're going to support this restaurant, which then in turn becomes we're going to gather there and say that it doesn't matter that indigenous people were insulted and we're going to say it doesn't matter that trans people were mocked. And it becomes this weird dividing point where we're going to go to this business because they did this bad thing. Right. And no one can stop us because F you at F Street. <laughs> well, well said. <laughs> I, I mean, that maybe that's maybe F Street is making a business decision. It could have been on purpose. I don't know. Yeah. For all I know, it was some poor teenager wrote that up there, didn't think it through, and now feels bad. Right? Sure. That could be the case, sure. too. If that were the case, say, say sorry. And we move on. You know, I don't think if they gave a sincere apology, I think most people would forget about this. Even if they don't apologize, I think most people are going to forget about this within a few weeks. You know, it's not like it's a major, huge, earth-shaking deal. But it's that weird once in a while something slips into that that space between left and right and just wedges it wide open. And this is one of those one of those weird things. So it's fascinating that essentially this whole F Street controversy is, is mobilizing. Yeah. Both, I would say, sides of the political spectrum, right? You've got essentially a conservative group. People are saying, I want to eat there now. This is like, this is, I love what they're doing. Well, I don't know if they would say that they love that sign so much as they would say, we got to take a strong stand against cancel culture. Right. right. Which uh, I think is wrong on a handful of levels, but sorry, go on. Well, it, well, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, then of course you have, I would say, the liberal group saying, hey, this is hurtful to at least two different demographics. Right. Um, and and we don't like that. We don't like that mm-hmm. harm that you're, you're creating. Uh, and, and, like, you know, once again, like, I, we talked about this earlier in Indoctrination, like, is is reality a component here? Yeah. Uh, or is it not? You know, I, I feel like what we're seeing a lot of times in this sort of on more of the conservative side is that it I, I see like a, a need like emotional response like like yeah yeah like I this feels wrong to me I don't like this mm-hmm. uh, and certainly same thing on the liberal side too like you know I when we see the sign we're angered by it uh-huh. but we're angered on behalf of these two communities that were diminished by what this sign had to say yeah uh, mm-hmm. and so, so I feel like that aligns with the reality of like hey you hurt. Your, your your joke hurts people. Mm-hmm. And we don't we don't like that that fact. Yeah, and yet we have conservatives saying, "But I feel I feel like attacked. Like I feel like I have to be politically correct all the time. You know, I'm anti woke because I feel like the woke movement means I can't say what I want to say or feel the way that I want to feel or think the way that I want to think. Mm-hmm. And so this what F Street says like, like it jives with me. Like I I, I can relate to this." That's the vibe that I'm kind of getting from this controversy. And the reality is that I think this little hyper-local controversy aligns quite well with sort of the national controversies yeah. that we, we see in these moments, mm-hmm. you know, where, where Governor DeSantis um, set, makes it illegal for um, high schools to have AP classes in, about black history. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, yeah. like uh, that's... It's, uh, you know, it's if, what DeSantis is doing is... is is racist, right? You can't teach about the black community's history in the in high school. Uh, but what he's saying is that, like, I feel like it's wrong. I feel that this that this hurts sort of the what I what I'm about, my values. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, yeah. you hear that? What you kind of hear that difference? I I do hear the difference, but I think we we have to, particularly as clergy, point out that that's not sufficient. 
right? And right. and Stephen Colbert kind of when he first <laughs> nice. started the Colbert Report way back when he first left the Daily Show and he did the word the word yes and the very first word was truthiness right and that became really his hallmark throughout that whole run of that show was truthiness that it doesn't matter what is true only what feels true in your heart and now he was doing this. In satire, right? right. He was saying right. this the is whole thing with satire. and back then with George W. Bush of getting people fired up to probably in in you know the run up to attack Iraq and say it doesn't matter if it's factually weapons of mass destruction. Well, it, Doesn't like, it feel like they have them? When, and, that famous scene with Colin Powell holding a right. bottle of anthrax yep. and saying, this is what the Iraq is doing. They're yeah. making this. And it was a whole... It was all fake. It was all fake. Yep. It was all staged. Yeah. And so I, I get really... Uh, frustrated when people lift up, this is how I feel about it as a way to make policy. You know, if sure, that can be how you feel about it could be a way to like choose your restaurant, I guess. But even that's got some facts to it. If you go to a restaurant and they have, you know, like in the 1950s south of the U.S., I shouldn't re- just the south, I mean, a lot of the U.S., um, if they have segregated lunch counters. You walk in there, it's not about what you feel. There is an actual fact of racism taking place. And if you eat there, you are supporting that fact of racism. It's not about feelings at all. And similarly, this current place here, they do have a joke, quote unquote, up that is transphobic. And it is diminishing something that is actually hurtful to the Native American and Alaska Native community. Um, They are actually making that insult. And so if you go there, you are either saying you support that insult or you don't care that that insult was made. There, are, There is a fact to it. It's not just feeling. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I talk too much. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, just, I, I like, I mean, like, I don't like this controversy, but I, but I understand, like, it, it feels like a microcosm of, of a bigger thing. That's For sure. On. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's, like, no great answer uh, other than, like, well, how do we, you know, I'm obviously we call ourselves progressive, so you know we pin ourselves. Yeah, I would say to a much the much more liberal group, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly we agree with all the people saying don't go to F Street because they're they're harming two demographics. Yeah. in their joke. Uh, but how do we engage with the conservatives who just who essentially are taking what they claim to be an anti woke yeah. stance? Uh, when I don't know, I'm not really talking about being woke i'm just trying to get through my day mm-hmm. they're the ones bringing up anti-woke but like you know i yeah. <sighs> i do feel like it often comes down to having the ability to spend time to reach some shared understanding of what is fact you know not just the feeling but what actually took place yeah and then number two what is compassionate what is the compassionate way forward and you don't always get the option to do that with people especially you know if it's just a passing comment here and there but if over the long term you can reach some sort of shared understanding of those two things then you can make progress but that doesn't always happen because so frequently even the fact part gets rejected and you can say something like you know the the 2020 election was fair and yeah. they reject the fact, even though it's been demonstrated over and over right and over now. again. It but it doesn't, and they can't, they cannot right. take that, right? Yeah. And a lot of studies show that it needs to start with the feelings, and then once they can trust you and and that kind of thing, um, and there's a certain feeling bridge built. Um, Ooh, a feeling bridge. I just made that Ooh. up, and it feels kind of creepy now. <laughs> I I thought you were being kind of fuzzy for some reason. I I don't know. Why? (laughs) Fuzzy feelings? (laughs) 
no, like if you can kind of build that that connection of empathy, then you can work on the facts after that. And I think there's a time and a place for each of those. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I, I feel like that gulf is bigger now than it was when, you know, like just 10 years ago. Uh, I don't know how to bridge it. I have I people mean, talk to me all the time that just reject the actual facts. There's never been more, or like, I don't know, I, I can't, but the, tra- the transphobic comments happening in our country is has increased like crazy amount. Transphobic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, we out, we're now seeing sort of protests of events like drag queens reading children's books, right? Yeah, yeah. And essentially this claim that the LGBTQ culture is manipulating children right, uh, right. and that it's confusing them, so uh-huh. to speak. But, you know, the reality is that people are born identifying with one thing or another, right? Like, yeah. you're just born that way. Well, that's you're already, but, but that's a fact that gets rejected. Yeah. yeah. You know, so you're starting yeah. out with a fact. Right, of course. It that that the, other, the other side, quote unquote, it's like rejects that, both from a scientific point of view and a religious point of view. Right. But the bridge that you want to build, I mean, like, how do you build that bridge? Like, like I, mean, yeah. I mean, that's, there's so much hate in the heart of these people. And, uh, and you know, I, I, I don't want to hate them back. Well, now, I, I'm trying to listen to my wife's words when I said something like that, yeah. like what you just said. I forget exactly how I phrase it, but she says, no, it's not hate in their heart. They think they're doing the kind thing. Right, right. And I'm trying to listen to her because I get frustrated and angry, and it leads no place good. But she she says that they, they have been taught. So maybe – I don't want to put words in Elizabeth's mouth, but she might say, like, they have been indoctrinated. She didn't use that word, but maybe that's kind of the sense of it. They, they've they been raised in such a way to think that if you allow gay people to keep being gay, they're going to spend eternity in hell. Uh-huh. And so they're trying to be kind by helping to prevent them from that future bad thing. Sure. There's just a lot of anger, though. In there is a lot of anger. Yeah, a lot of anger for sure. <laughs> it's hard to – It's. Hard, I mean, like, I hear – I mean, what your wife says is beautiful. Right, you know? yeah. And, and I certainly we should uh, try to get to that level – but, you know, you see these protests and you just see them so angry. Yeah. And, and you're just like, how, how do I, like, so again, I let I me escalate your anger? And let me try to be fair, even though I'm not feeling fair in my heart. I see anger on the left also. Of course. And I justify it sometimes because I think, well, that anger is justified not by me as the straight, white, hetero, cis male. Sure. You well, know, we, I, we I, got no, I got nothing to be angry we about. both are those things. But yeah. when I see my friends who are gay. Yeah. At these protests, shouting in anger, I'm like, well, hell yeah, you, you've earned that anger because you've spent a lifetime being insulted. Yeah, you're allowed to be angry. Right. Why would the other side, who's privileged, that side has yeah. been dispensing the insults? What are you angry about? Because we're telling you to stop insulting. I mean that. that I yeah, it, it's it's a funny back and forth inside my head, and my heart where I want to be the Mister Rogers version of myself. Right. But I also want to stand up and stand in between the insulters and the insulted. Yeah. And when you're in that space, it's hard to not be angry and look at the people insulting and saying, just shut up. <laughs> you need to just stop, you know? Well, I feel like – I think maybe this should be our final comment because we're running kind of low on time okay. here. But um, but I, I kind of perceive what's happening as like what I call the national conversation. Right? Yeah. Uh-huh. That what – and the national conversation can only happen in the public sphere. Right, and so, so the question is, what occurs in the public sphere that like triggers mm-hmm. 
other people to say. <laughs> and to even say, the word trigger has no, become no, no, a right, trigger. Right, right, <laughs> right? yeah. Uh, the trigger, other people say, that's not allowed in the public sphere. Mm-hmm. And I, essentially, I think what the argument now we're having nationally is what's allowed in the public sphere, right? So yeah, when a yeah. drag queen reads a book in a public library, that is by definition something occurring within the public sphere, right? It's not yeah, happening yeah. in a private function, um, which I am totally supportive of. I love. Uh, but but the, you have these conservatives saying that's not, we don't, we disagree with that being part of the public. Meanwhile, right. reactionary, us people who are more progressive, are saying your level of anger and your hate and your hateful words, we necessarily agree that that yeah. is appropriate for the public sphere either. Which never goes well either in public or in a personal one-on-one conversation yeah, to say, yeah. hey, settle down. Yeah. Right? That never right. goes over well. So so when F Street put this, put this sort of this, you know, statement up, yeah. uh, they essentially... They contributed to the public conversation, right? To they, say this kind of statement is okay. Yeah, or or to say we're making this kind of statement. We're, are, are, you know, most bars are considered to be like a public space, uh-huh. famously so. Yeah, you know, and so they instead instead of a bar being kind of more neutral about <laughs> about it, this bar made a decision. They're mm-hmm. not neutral anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they made a choice about where they fall on on this national conversation. Which uh, uh, local folks will remember, Kreiner's Diner made a similar choice. Yes. we are going to come out very loudly in this one particular political area. Yeah. And yeah. It, it probably earned them a bunch of business on one area and lost a bunch on I the mean, other. I, I think the business of it is bad because if you look at big corporations, they work very hard. They want to stay broad in appeal. super neutral. Right. Super neutral. Yeah. Right. Uh, and uh, and so with these local organizations that make a stand, I, I, I wonder, you know, the business model or side of it or plan of it, if, if there, first of all, if there is one. Yeah. But second of all, like, it might be, I mean, like I said before, it might be a business choice. Like Kreiner's Diner, I imagine, was a business choice mm-hmm. that got them oodles of money for a while there. Yeah. Now, yeah. whether it was a short term or long term, who knows? Who knows? Right. Uh, but, you know, I, I think I think part of part of the frustration, at least I'm experiencing, is like F Street, like, you don't stop making a, a public statement like this. Like, continue to be, like, a place where we can all go to and, mm-hmm. and where we can all enjoy, you know, a beer or food. Uh, but as soon as you made that statement, you know, you chose a side and you made it less of a public place, a, a place that's no longer you feel comfortable having, right. a, like, a public conversation. And, and yeah, because it's no longer a choice for me because I feel like just by going there, I would be making a statement. It's it's They've right. turned their restaurant into an ethical flag to fly. And if you go in there, you're you're allowing that. And same with Kreiner's, and I'm sure there are examples on the left also. Um, maybe, I don't know, nothing springs to mind. Buying Ben and Jerry's, is that like a liberal thing to do? <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm going to talk Ben and Jerry's. What? Yeah, they, yeah, they have a whole... Uh, oh. Oh no! Don't. Uh, they're not bad. It's not bad. Don't it's, kill it's my com- hero. It's complicated, <laughs> uh, but they no longer want to sell their ice cream in Israel. Oh, uh, that yeah, oh, okay. which led to a whole. That, 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 we don't have enough time to unpack what that means in this Just podcast. As as a friend. Yeah. Am I allowed to still buy it? Yes. Okay. Please do. I'm not saying don't buy it. I'm just saying with Ben Jerry's, it got complicated. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I am. I know we're wrapping up, but I'm re-watching the show, The Good Place. Of course you are. You love that show. I, it's, it's like my fourth rewatch, and and so much of the plot re- revolves around the law of unintended consequences. Yeah. And boy, yeah. is this right at the heart of it. I just want to go buy a beer and a burger. I just want to go buy a pint of ice cream. But what? wait, let's weigh all the ethical implications. I know. First. Oh, right. 
don't want to have <laughs> it's to navigate. Too much. It, it's too much. Yeah. It's too much. We need an app that just you click on it and say, you know, like you say, hey, Siri, I want to buy a burger. And it's, and then it lists all the places that match up with your ethical structure. <laughs> right, right, which is boring. I want a, pl- a place to buy, like a boring place to buy a burger that doesn't make a decision yeah. about wh- how they feel on the problem. That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's end it there. Man. All right. <laughs> okay. All right, well, thank you. If you've gotten this far, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, and thank you, Mitchell Brothers, for our intro. And thank you, James Brown, for our logo. Uh, and, you know, we've explained enough how often you can see us. I think we're good to stop here, I right? think most people already know how to find someone else. However, we're at 59 minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah. Shouldn't we just kind of vamp for another 30 seconds so hey, we end at exactly... We're both on Twitter. We are on Twitter, oh, yeah. You can ask I forget. us questions on Twitter. Yeah, please do. I forget my Twitter handle, but I I, it's something either. like Rev Matt it's Schultz. Like, it's really easy. You can just yeah. type my... I have Rabbi Abram Goodstein. It's like my Twitter handle. Yeah, my yeah. Twitter name. I don't know what my handle is. Your name in my phone is also Rabbi Abram because I put it in before I really knew you. And yeah. so I, I wanted to remember who you were. Yeah, there, there we go. Yeah.